electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and explain how days like today can even happen. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at you, Kramer. Mergers. Mergers matter. When companies start buying each other at a big premium to what the market's willing to pay, it tells you that stocks entirely, the whole market, may just be too cheap. That's one reason why we were today. We were with Dow, it surged 529 points. S&P soaring 1.43%. NASDAQ jumping 1.26%. I almost given up on the NASDAQ. Now, after a Gobi Desert-like dry spell, today we got three deals. House of pleasure. All which made me more bullish. Amgen's buying Horizon Therapeutics. Take a look at these. These are big prices. This one was for $28 billion. Coupa Software going private for $8 billion, thanks to a bid from Tom of Bravo. And then Weber, the grill company, it's being taken private by BDT Capital for $3.7 billion. Okay, taking them in one by one, no, but look at all together. Each of these deals came at a nice premium, and they tell you a lot about the current state of the entire stock market. First, Amgen, one of the, one of the you know, Amgen was one of the first big biotech firms. They decided to follow in the footsteps of the old life pharma companies by picking off a younger business with some exciting drugs at a 15% premium, although it's nearly double where Horizon was trading before we started hearing rumors of a deal. Amgen wants Horizon for its portfolio of orphan drugs, super expensive drugs aimed at incredibly rare diseases that are also incredibly severe, tend to be well covered by insurers, very lucrative. They say the deal will be additive to earnings from in 2024. That's pretty quick. My initial reaction was that the deal was too expensive. There was a three-way uh, bidding war. Horizon with San- Sanofi and J&J dropping out as the price grew too high. I also didn't understand the need for Amgen to pay up because I, I thought their own pipeline was so compelling. Why did they need anything else? But after hearing from them, I got to tell you, I'm getting convinced this is a good deal. First, this is a rare merger that should close quickly because there's no real overlap of drugs. Second, Horizon no real worldwide infrastructure to market their drugs, something that costs a fortune. you got really a lot to build it out, but Amgen can just plug it right in. They already have it already. Third, the price is easier to justify when you realize that Amgen's confident of a quick payoff. 
What really matters here, though, is that there are a ton of companies that look just like Horizon Therapeutics, companies like Prometheus Biosynthesis. We heard from them on Friday. I like that story. Biomarin, frequent guests on the show, JJ Bianami. CGen, which has a very good cancer franchise. So many others. The deal is huge for the overall market. We've got so many biotechs that have come public in the last few years, and most are now wallowing without enough cash to really fund their big drug trials that they need in order to fully commercialize the stuff that gets approved. I'm involved in one of these. It a fortune. When Pfizer bought Biohaven Pharma for its migraine franchise back in May, paying $11.6 billion, I thought it might signal a scale of biotech deals. It was one off. Since then, the market's come down big, making these potential takeover targets much more enticing. There are tons of big pharma companies that need to pay to pad out their pipelines a lot more than Amgen did. Look for more deals like Amgen buys Horizon Therapeutics. Next up, let's talk about Tomo Bravo uh, taking Coupa Software private. This is incredibly important because it says a cloud company that's losing fortunes might be of value to someone, anyone, even if it's hated by the stock market. Of course, Tomo Bravo seems to have a predilection for buying enterprise software companies that the market hates. They bought Anaplan for $10.4 billion, SailPoint for $6.9 billion, and Ping Identity for $2.8 billion all at sweet premiums. None of these companies was making any money. They were losing boatloads. But that sure didn't stop Toma Bravo. See, this firm just raised a new fund worth $32.4 billion, and it's precisely to buy companies like Coupa. So it's expected to buy many more companies in the space. And that's a big deal for the flag NASDAQ because nothing is as hated as the cloud software stocks. Coupa had fallen from $27 billion market cap early last year down to $3 billion last month. Tomo Bravo's paying $8 billion. Might seem like a huge premium, but they're basically paying what Coupa was valued at in March. Enterprise software, black hole. Now, I like Coupa, the company. We've had them on repeatedly. They dominate the procurement software space, saving billions of dollars for the customers. But Wall Street has no time for the cloud software names that are only focused on revenue growth, not profitability. Even if they're young enough that the growth fixation makes perfect sense. When the Fed declared war on inflation a little over a year ago, everything like Coupa immediately went out of style, which is how the stock plunged from $377 to $40 in its lowest last month. And look, you can see the pin action from this deal, causing a huge wave of buying in the otherwise untouchable cloud software stocks. Of course, if we get on an overheated consumer price index tomorrow and then a surprisingly hawkish statement from the Fed the next day, well, I got to tell you, a lot of these stocks will go right back down, and that may be when we need to strike. But Coupa being taken private feels more like a floor than past deals, mainly because I never thought that CEO Rob Bernstein would sell. And he's a young guy. Love the company. When you see Tom and Bravo taking these cloud software stocks private one after another, it's much harder for the hedge funds to short them aggressively because they're no longer shooting fish in a barrel. This private equity firm is basically putting a floor under the group. The more sophisticated people who watch the show say, Jim, why didn't you say it's put a put under the group? Okay, it's put a put under the group. Uh, it's an important cohort of stocks that have known no bottom this year. No one will think of these stocks as pariahs again after this purchase. Picking among the rubble. They're not honestly even going after the best of breed. Finally, let's talk about one that shocked a lot of people. Weber. Weber, the grill company. Not long ago, the last week of October, the grill maker traded around four bucks a share. That's quite a come down from from 14 bucks, right? The IPO price in August of last year. Weber initially rallied to 20 after that deal, but it turned out to be a pure COVID play. Why? Because grilling outside was the safest way to socialize during the pandemic. 
Once the world went back to normal, demand fell off a cliff and the numbers cratered. I remember chatting with the CEO, then CEO, CEO Chris Scherzinger, on the day the company came public. We were outside doing some grilling, but I was babbling to him about the durability of my Weber. In many ways, that was the company's undoing. It's not like you need to buy a new grill every year, especially if it's a good grill, especially if it's a Weber. Again, though, the Weber private equity buyout at $8.05 per share or $3.7 billion made us rethink how much we should hate the other seemingly one-off pandemic place. Even the DocuSigns, that stock's doing quite well since that last quarter. The Zoom videos. I was surprised that Weber competitor Traeger didn't do much. Now, I'm not saying these three deals ignited the entire rally today. I think the market got so oversold that some real buyers finally stepped up, and it did help that oil went, got stronger. Oil's been the leader in this market. But these deals certainly gave them a lot, gave most buyers a lot more confidence. There are a ton of stocks that the market has no appreciation for, and we're finding out that other companies or private equity buyers value them a lot more highly. That's never a bad thing. Here's the bottom line. If I were just, if it were one deal, just one deal, okay, it could be ignored. Two deals might raise some eyebrows. But three deals in a regulatory environment that's this hostile to takeovers? At that point, you need to get more positive on the entire asset class because the acquirers are telling you these stocks have gotten too cheap to be ignored. Nico in Illinois, Nico. Jimmy Cho, a big booyah from Chicago for you. Uh, Portillo's and Binnie's, uh, uh, booyah, right back at you. Tilly Binnie's, where my wife had a home run with the Mescal. What's going on? Well, I want to know about your take on the VIX. So you are one who mentions the VIX when we get rallies. If we yes. get a Santa Claus rally this year, do you think that we'll see the VIX rally with it? I think the VIX will go down. Uh, I think that actually after Thursday, we're going to have some days where there's nothing else to do other than buy stocks. And that's what's going to happen. All right. Acquirers are telling you these stocks have gotten too cheap to be ignored. I thought this was an amazing buyout day. Oh, man, money tell you, could an investment in Chewy give you something to chew on? Or could you be barking up the wrong tree? <laughs> then only one sector was higher in 2022, and I'm drilling into it tonight. I'll reveal it and whether it could continue roaring as we head into the new year, and I'll give you the best that I have. And after a tough year for the market, I'm hollering one company that's managed to power higher. Do not miss my exclusive with the most exciting ESG company I know of, CEO of Constellation Energy is going to be with us. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. 
Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. You gotta be very careful when it comes to the most beaten down tech and e-commerce stocks in this environment. The vast majority of these things are simply too risky, even if they've come down substantially from their highs and you get takeover bids like we had this morning. We've learned painfully over the last 12 months that they're the definition of what doesn't work when the Fed's tightening. So let's not fight the tape at every single point. There are always exceptions. See, for instance, last Thursday, I highlighted four e-commerce names that had risen substantially from their lows. I talked about Etsy. Pinterest, I did that again this morning, Shopify, and Mercado Libre. That's the South American one that I like so much. Well, I do believe in Etsy and Pinterest more than the uh, two others. The fact is, all four stocks were behaving like they'd already bought them. They're putting up some solid numbers. I think they'll look a lot better once the calendar turns to 2023. They start facing easier year-over-year comparisons, and maybe the tax law selling will finally end. And that's why we called them the comeback kids. Originally, though, I wanted to talk about five of them, not four. We ended up leaving one out. The fifth one is Chewy because it was reporting that night. And I thought it'd be irresponsible to recommend it without taking some time to go over the quarter. That's not the way we do it on Man Money. I'm not trying to guess a quarter. OK, I'm trying to think long term about a stock. And I am glad we didn't jump the gun. See, last Thursday night, the online pet food retailer reported a confusing set of numbers that caused the stock to really whipsaw. It opened down 4%, and I said, oh, man, am I ever glad I didn't recommend this one. And then then, it only reversed and finished up 4%. Now, after taking the weekend to do some homework, I think Chewy's initial sell-off was a mistake. The stock very much deserved a rally, and it's exactly the kind of comeback play that should be worth speculating on at this point in the cycle, particularly because pets be remain, even after COVID, a much sought-after thing as part of people's home. Part of that's because the stock's already spent the better part of two years in the doghouse. Chewy came public back in June of 2019 at 22 bucks per share for jumping nearly 35 on its first day of trading. That was an exciting time, right? That actually held it back a bit because back in 2019, Wall Street still cared about things like overvaluation. We weren't fully in speculative mania mode yet. But after pulling back to 20 and change when the COVID crash hit in March of, 2000, of 2020, Chewy caught fires. Everybody realized that an online pet food store would be a huge pandemic winner. Remember you saw the boxes next to the UPS 
trucks. I mean, I was like, oh, geez, I got to own this one. The darn thing charged all the way from 20 bucks to 120 at its peak in February of last year, where it got a boost from the meme stock craze because Ryan Cohen, the Wall Street Bets messiah, who became the chairman of GameStop, was originally the co-founder of Chewy. Now, that said, he has no relationship with Chewy anymore. They don't even talk about him, man. I got to tell you, I tried Say, hey, I bought the team. Say, oh, I don't want to talk about that guy, which I think is actually a very good thing because I, I don't want any association with GameStop here other than to be attacked personally in the mentions column of Twitter, which I love so much. At any rate, after peaking in February of last year, Chewy spent the next 15 months moving lower. Like so many other COVID winners, its stock peaked well before the rest of the market. And the dark thing kept falling. It plunged all the way back to 22 in, in change in late May, wiping nearly every penny of its gains since it came public three and a half years ago. We know Chewy got a boost from the pandemic, but at its low, the stock was trading like this growth business had just been sitting on its hands for nearly three years. And that's not true. Since then, Chewy's stock has come roaring back, and they're still running nearly all the way to 52 bucks in mid-August for the Fed harshly reiterated that they keep, are going to keep raising rates aggressively, and then the whole market rolled over. That was such an ugly moment. Chewy pulled back to $30 in early October. Now it's rebounded to 45 and changed, more than doubling from its lows this May. But that's not an uncommon pattern. It, but this is not a complicated story. Chewy made a fortune when the whole country went into lockdown and practically everyone with the pet decided to order their supplies from the Internet rather than buying them in person. That made sense. This company already had a remarkable growth rate going into the pandemic. Then COVID gave it a ton of extra juice. Chewy's active customer base grew from 13.5 million at the end of 2019 to 19.2 million at the end of 2020 to 20.7 million at the end of last year. And their sales exploded, growing much faster than that user base. Even as we got vaccinated and America moved out on from COVID, there was some optimism that Chewy might retain a lot of this business because a huge chunk of their sales are automatically renewed. Last year, it was more than 70%. I love that kind of business. That is money. But in the end, the stock became extremely overvalued. At the peak in uh, 2021, it had a $49 billion market capitalization, which is nuts for a company that did less than $9 billion in sales last year. This is indeed a retailer that was getting a software-as-a-service valuation. By the way, getting to Amazon, which is where we order a lot of our dog food. Then the whole market turned against the pandemic place for turning against all things growth a few months later. Plus, Chewy had its own company-specific issues. This is a company that struggled to turn a profit in the market that only cares about earnings. Plus, even their earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization started backsliding last year thanks to higher spending on marketing, wages, and employee benefits. Not unusual, right? When you hear those that triad, you could get away with this kind of spending last year. Oh, but in 2022, we don't want to hear about it. So what's changed? How did Chewy's stock manage to bottom in May? Why am I willing to recommend it right now? Well, because they pivoted to profitability. You're going to keep hearing me talk about the pivot to profitability. At the beginning of June, Chewy reported a much better than feared quarter, sending stock up 24% in a single session. The numbers weren't that great. Weaker than anticipated active customers, eh, declining margins, ah, but they also delivered surprise profit. On top of that, you need to remember that the expectations were insanely low here. When Chewy reported again at the end of August, they delivered a similar quarter with one key difference. Their full-year guidance implied that the margins would get worse over the next couple of quarters. And that's why the stock tumbled 8% response. Wall Street wants profitability, and management suggests it might be hard to come by. Which brings me to the most recent set of numbers from last Thursday. The ones that led to some incredibly choppy action on Friday. This time, Chewy delivered higher-than-expected active customers with higher-than-expected sales, up 14.5% year-over-year. Their gross margins increased by 200 basis points, too, which is why the earnings came in strong. We got another surprise profit, albeit a very modest one. 
Even better, Chewy gave us a very solid revenue forecast for the current quarter, and they raised their full-year margin forecast, rolling back the one big negative from the last time we reported at the end of August. I don't know why the stock initially sold off from what I think are unambiguously good numbers, but remember what I told you. Many times the first reaction is the most stupid one, and then the stock eventually turned around. Not only is Chewy heading in the right direction of profitability, they've got accelerating revenue growth, or what we call ARG, too. But the most important thing is that the company demonstrated its ability to pivot from a growth-at-all-cost business, which we hate now, to a profitable growth business just over the course of three quarters. They're now giving you a solid revenue growth coupled with big earnings beats. That's exactly what one Wall Street wants to see, and so few companies have taken this pivot. Of course, you can't call Chewy cheap here. But if they keep putting up better-than-expected numbers, the stock will end up looking like more of a, I'd say, let's say, in hindsight, more of a bargain. And I think you'll probably take out where it used to be. Here's the bottom line. I think some of the rebounding e-commerce stocks can keep running here. You know, I like Pinterest. At 23, that stock is wrongly priced. It should be much higher. You know, I like Etsy. Chewy should be one of them because it's made the pivot profitably without taking a huge hit to its growth rate. And that's why I think I should have included it, and now I can, in the five comeback kids from Dotcom Europe. They have money's back here for the break. Coming up, set your mind on the future as the new year approaches. Kramer shares a few bright ideas for 2023. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. Every year when we head into the home stretch, I like to spend some time focusing on the best stories of the last 12 months, both to highlight what worked and maybe even to see what could happen next year. This year is pretty straightforward because it, as of least today, only one sector has posted any meaningful gains for 2022, and that's energy. Yeah, I know the price of oil is down. Listen to me. In fact, when you look at the performance of all 11 sectors in the global industries, industry classification standard, nothing comes close. The S&P Energy Select Sector ETF, the XLE that everybody talks about, it's up nearly 53%. Meanwhile, in second place, you got the utilities, which you used to, a nice gain today to get up to 1% for the year. The consumer staples, the health cares, the industrials are only down single digits. Wow, that's true. Absolutely everything else is awful. So if you're looking back to the beginning of the year, energy's been the best performing story of all. Yet at the moment, things sure don't feel that great for energy investors, do they? Even though the XLE is up more than 50% for the year, it's also down a quick 10% from its high set roughly a month ago, uh, mirroring the recent decline in oil. 
And that's why energy is such a conundrum. Oil and gas soared into the stratosphere when Russia invaded Ukraine and the West responded with major sanctions on Russian fossil fuels. With the price of crude peaking at 123 in March, there were so many cheerleaders at 123, say 150, 200. Ah! But we never managed to exceed those highs. And in fact, oil started rolling over this summer as Wall Street began to get a little worried about a worldwide slowdown. Recession means sell oil. Now, the price of crude's back down to the low 70s. I don't know if it can hold. Like I told members of the CNBC Investing Club in today's morning meeting at 10.20 a.m., I think oil could fall a bit further, maybe even to 65. But I don't know how much slower. Um, between China's economy coming back online, President Biden trying to replenish the strategic petroleum reserve every time the price goes below 70, my sense is that oil's got a nice floor developing under it. I believe the downside is limited. At the same time, natural gas prices have held up much better, in part because Europe's desperate to import every molecule they can get from our own liquefied natural gas terminals. Remember, you need to cool this stuff until it becomes a liquid if you want to transport it by sea. Very cumbersome. So where does that put us? Okay, well, let's look at the top performers. Of the 23 energy stocks in the SP 500, they're up nearly 49% on average. Wow. As for the best of the best, Occidental Pete's up 121%. Hess is up more than 81 ExxonMobil, jeez, a gigantic company, up 73%. We're going to take them in descending order, starting with Occidental. That's Oxy for short, Warren Buffett's favorite oil company. It's hard to remember now, but not too long ago, things looked pretty darn dicey for Occidental. They borrowed a massive amount of money to buy Anadarko back in 2019 after bidding war with a much larger Chevron only to see the price of oil crater at the beginning of the pandemic. Stock plunged from the 80s in the mid-2018 down to $8 and change at its lows in October of 2020. But the same things that made Occidental terrible in 2020 made it a huge winner this year because the company's incredibly sensitive to oil prices. That's how, what that means is, is that as oil goes up, its stock goes up more than most would. They're kind of sometimes oil goes up and, a, and a stock may only go up about half as much as oil. This thing flies when oil goes up. And that's how the stock more than doubled this year, even as it pulled back from 77 in August to 64 today. They've gone from fighting for their life to printing money while retiring massive chunks of debt in the process. Plus, throughout this whole period, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has kept increasing its position. There's constant speculation that he might just acquire the whole darn company. Putting that aside, though, I like that Occidental's got a major position in the oil-rich Permian Basin in Texas, one of the lowest-cost structures in the entire industry. I like they've made a big investment in carbon capture technology. At the end of the day, if you think the price of crude can remain flat here or even rally a bit, Occidental is still worth owning. Personally, though, I'd much rather go with the producers that pay those big dividends like Devon or Coterra, and those are both holders of the investing club. We're going to discuss them when we convene at Thursday's midday meeting. Next up, the second-best energy stock in the S&P is a surpriser, Hess. These guys have exposure to some of the highest-cost regions here in the United States, like the Bakken Shale, a ton of deep-water rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. When oil prices are low, Hess is a dog. But when oil prices make a comeback, their earnings explode higher. And that's why Hess could raise its dividend this year for the first time since 2013, although it's still only got a puny 1% yield. At the same time, the company has a bunch of international projects in far-flung locations, Malaysia, Thailand, big offshore positions in South America. In particular, they keep making huge discoveries off the coast of Guyana. Put it all together, though, and Hess is just too complicated for me. See, I'd rather own a straightforward domestic producer or a straightforward global offshore play. Plus, just as Hess wins big when the price of oil rises, they lose big when it goes down. I think they're doing well here, but the stock's a lot less compelling if you think crew's going to be stuck bouncing between the mid-60s and the mid-70s. I'm more bullish than that, but I'm just pointing it out. In third, there is just an incredible comeback performer here, 
ExxonMobil, one of the two big American integrated oils. This has been a great year for Exxon. They're on track to put up 50% plus revenue growth with their earnings per share more than doubling. Of course, those numbers uh, should come down in 2023 because oil and gas prices have pulled back from their highs. But at these levels, Exxon just sells for nine times next year's earnings estimates. Nice 3.5% dividend yield. I think it should keep doing fine. Remember, when numbers, when forecasts are down for the next year, you're going to see stocks get their multiple slash, and that's what's happening here. Just like Chevron, the other big integrated oil, they've got a nice balance of very strong, of a strong business today with big plans for a lower carbon future. Plus, the integrated model insulates them from some of the pain of lower commodity prices. Let me give you a few more. In fourth place, there's one that I, I just I haven't talked about in ages. It's called Marathon Pete which is a downstream operator, meaning they run refineries and gas stations. Much better place to be in the market where the price of oil is falling. doesn't hurt that the stock's pulled back more than 15 bucks from its highs in the past few weeks. That's pretty compelling. Fifth place, EQT. That's a natural gas play. I like it very much for 2023 because I expect nat gas to keep being more durable than oil. While crude's already back to where it was late last year, natural gas is up more than 50% over that same time frame. And EQT is the number one producer of natural gas in America. Finally, don't forget the variable dividend energy stocks. Now, they're not included in this list, but I included them in my own list. I mentioned uh, we own Devon and we own Qatar for the Travel Trust. Their yields are just too good to ignore. While both have come down along with energy prices, pretty steep, actually. I think they'll be worth buying again as oil gets close to a bottom. Remember, I'm betting it's got a floor around 65. Still, Kotara might be the best way to go now because it's got the most natural gas exposure as it's a successor to the high-quality Cabot Oil and Gas. Anybody who knew that company knew that was the best natural gas company in the country. Analysts keep downgrading this fine firm. We keep buying for the trust. It's that great a company. The analysts are that bad. Here's the bottom line. Well, that was glib, but they, but they can't keep downgrading down here. What were they in the 30s? Bottom line, while energy was the only winning sector this year, all of these stocks have come down substantially from their highs thanks to the recent decline in oil and gas. I don't see energy putting up another monster performance next year, but I do think it could do a lot better than Wall Street's expecting as the Chinese economy starts moving again and the U.S. government starts buying instead of selling oil to refill the depleted strategic petroleum reserve. Now, let's get to some calls. Let's go to Evan in New York. Evan. Evan, that's right. This is me, Jim Cramer. Good evening to you. Good evening. How are you? I got a flashback for you real quick. Um, Everybody always says they remember you from Cudlow and Cramer, but what about this one? And let's get to Jim Cramer from the house of what's happening now. Oh, yeah, Mark Haynes. Boy, did yes. Pop love it when I could come on and Bart Hayes would make that joke. And he said, you know, he loves you. He really loves you, Jimmy. And I miss it. I miss I miss both Pop and, and Mark Haynes. We're all getting older. How can I help? OK, so you had a segment on a while ago about three restaurant stocks you really liked. And I was surprised because Portillo's was not on it. Now, you had the CEO on your show Several times, and he laid out what I liked, which was a careful expansion plan so not to lose the Portillo's magic and experience that people kind of expect. But the last earnings, uh, during the last earnings, Portillo's actually beat expectations, but yet, since that secondary offering was announced, the stock's been getting crushed. Now, I feel well, that Evan, this Evan, company... Evan, that was ahead. my worry. See, they, they issued all that stock, and I couldn't... You know, look, we got McDonald's is great, Chipotle's great, Yum's great, 
And then this Portillo's, I was very disappointed that it kept doing more and more stocks. Not up to them, obviously, but it just broke my heart that they dumped all this stock right after they came on. And I, I had a lot of good things to say, but I'm not gonna, but I don't, I'm not going to recommend something to people where there's so much selling. It's just insider selling. It's just not right. Okay, I mean, I'm putting it out there. Like the sandwich is not right to do the insider selling. Now, I don't see energy putting up another monster performance next year because I think the earnings won't be as good. But I do think you do a lot better than what Wall Street is now expecting. Much more bad money ahead, including my Susan with, oh, here's a good one, Constellation Energy, second best performer of the entire year. Could the company have, have you seen stars as we head into 2023? I'm eyeing the potential. Then I'm trend spotting in this market, telling you what it could pay to go against the grain. And I think it's a real good idea that we just somewhat talked about. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Otherwise difficult year for the market. So actually, we've had a couple of winners. How about like Constellation Energy, the electric utility? It's all about nuclear power. Oh, and also, let's see, fossil-free energy. Here's a company that spun off by Exxon earlier this year, right before Russia invaded Ukraine, sending energy prices soaring. I have been a big backer of nuclear power because it's the most straightforward way to get carbon-free energy. That's also why Constellation got some goodies in the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, which was more of a climate bill. doesn't hurt that they reported three solid quarters in a row since the spinoff. Put it all together, and the stock's now up nearly 70% from where I recommended it in March. It's been a while since we've heard from management. It's also, by the way, the second best performing stock in the S&P this year. So let's check in with Joe Dominguez. He's the president and CEO of Constellation Energy to get a better sense of how the business is doing and why there's so much federal money coming. Mr. Dominguez, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, it's great to be back. All right, so Joe, it does seem like that the federal government said, you know what, here's the example of what we're looking for. We're looking for Constellation. This is really the way to be able to get fossil-free and a way to get the skies clean. Are you getting a feeling, are people kicking the tires here, all the other companies saying, how do you do it? <laughs> a lot of hard work, but I, I, I don't know if it's our work. It's just technology. And, you know, Jim, I think people have finally come to the conclusion that uh, you outlined just a second ago, and that's that if you're going to deal with the climate crisis and you're going to have a reliable electric system, then you have to have clean energy resources that operate all the time provide this kind of baseload support for the system and do it in an affordable way. And folks have figured out that uh, we've had that for a while. It's the existing nuclear fleet. We just have to make sure that it's healthy and continues to operate. And if it does, we're going to be well on our way to defeating the climate crisis. Well, you know, I, I've been a, a backer uh, of nuclear, Joe, and then every time I, I've been out there for years being a backer. And then I, you know, I get three mile island and then we get uh, in Chernobyl, and then, and then you get Fukushima, and then you get a series about Chernobyl that's a best-selling series, and then you get this meltdown on Netflix. I mean, I always feel like for every bit of good news, there is always some, let's say, narrative that makes it seem like it's just really dangerous, when we know it's actually not as dangerous as people think. Not only not as dangerous, but organizations like the World Health Organization and others have done statistical analyses that demonstrate it's the safest form of energy production. You know, we've had more people fall off a rooftop and die installing solar panels than have ever lost their life in over 50 years of the civilian nuclear program in the U.S. But it is like any other powerful technology, technology that we need to operate safely. 
and we do that here at Constellation, we do it better than anybody else on the planet. Well, there's also just this incredible lack of knowledge. I mean, for instance, you've got, I think, the best example ever of how much spent nuclear fuel there is. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if you think about the size of one of these super Walmarts that we probably all have been in, you can take all of the fuel since Eisenhower gave that famous uh, Adams for Peace speech back in 56, all the, spu- all the fuel that's ever been produced could be stored inside one of these super Walmarts. Now, toxicity of the fuel, the, the intensity of the fuel is what we know, but we also have canisters that we've created that'll safely store that fuel for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you know what? They don't need any power to operate. Uh, they're, they're completely passive systems. So we have a storage solution where we know where every gram of waste exists and we know how to store it for hundreds of years. In contrast, we're dealing with battery technologies and other things where we don't yet have an understanding of how we're going to treat things like lithium and other things. So the nuclear industry is far, far ahead of the pack in that regard. But, you know, like you said, we don't always get credit for that, but we got to keep talking about it. And Jim, I appreciate you talking about it. Of course. Now, I also like you talking about hydrogen. I am a gigantic believer that the way to treat long haul trucking is to have that all be on hydrogen fuel. It seems to be the most obvious use of hydrogen fuel. Where are we with hydrogen in terms of uh, the near future? Yeah, well, let let me just start with what you just kind of ended with. There was a fantastic piece of work done in Australia. The news was released over the weekend, where with a minor modification to existing diesel engines, they could burn diesel in combination with hydrogen and reduce air pollution from diesel engines by something like 85%. So where do you get the clean hydrogen? We think we can make it at our plants. We got a DOE grant where we demonstrated our ability to take nuclear energy and produce hydrogen with electrolyzers. We could then take that hydrogen and we could sell it as, uh, for example, for long haul trucking. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the use cases. But other things we could do with that is replace uh, hydrogen that's currently used in the steel industry for ammonia and fertilizer and for other fuels like aviation fuels. As much as I'm a big believer in EV technology and battery technology. I think it is certainly the way of the future for light duty vehicles. We're not gonna get there for big trains, big long haul trucking, and certainly not airplanes because of the weight of the batteries. So hydrogen is a way for us to kind of create a fuel that burns in every engine that we have right now, whether it's airplane engines or diesel trucks, and start decarbonizing and reducing air pollution. And we meet the customer where they are with existing technology and relatively low cost to adopt. Well, the last thing I want to ask is that I am very concerned that uh, people keep telling me we're going to have some new nuke plants, some small form nuke plants, and people saying they got them in Canada. I've not seen any definitive plans to build a nuclear power plant in this country that make me feel confident it's going to happen within the next 10 years. Am I too pessimistic? I don't think you're too pessimistic uh, in terms of the time frame. Mm-hmm. I think 10 years is the right way to look at it. There's a lot of developing technologies. I think before people start building them in bulk, we're a decade away. But you're probably too pessimistic on the technology. I'm telling you, I've seen it. It's repeatable. These small modular reactors 
are like the reactors, essentially, that we've been building for the military fleet for decades. And we could put that uh, where we have existing nuclear sites. We could go to places that were coal sites in the past, and we could put it there. And the power density is the same thing we have in our big power plants. You produce a lot of energy with a small footprint of land. And as much as, look, Jim, renewables are great, and we're going to build the lion's share of what we build is going to be renewables. But you need power that operates when you want it. You know, we're in the, (laughs) I say to my team all the time, we're in the anywhere, anytime, anything business. Anywhere you want to power something, anything you want to power, anytime you want to power it, that's what the grid is supposed to be able to do. And in order to do that best, we have to have the resources that operate when we tell them to do to operate, well, not necessarily when the wind is blowing or the sun. That's out. why I think your stock has a lot more room to run. It's one of my absolute favorites. I want to thank Joe Dominguez. He's Constellation Energy CEO. Great to see you and have you on the show, sir. Hey, great to see you, and congrats on the great call this year. You were on us in March before anyone else was. Uh, you certainly don't need us to prove that you're smart, but uh, we're glad to uh, You're very smart. Have a great holiday. Thank you. And Brian Sullivan had a very good piece today. If you want to find out more about the, the fusion hydrogen situation. Joe, good to see you again. Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, tell me the lightning round. I'm going to start with Jessica in Virginia. Jessica. Hi, Jim. I'm a first-time caller. And right. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, Thank you for calling. <laughs> You're welcome. In light of the problem with obesity in the country, I was wondering what your thoughts were on a company using a non-surgical approach to treatment. Um, their ticker symbol is NVO. Yeah, Norva Nordis, it's just red hot. I got to tell you, I cannot, look, other than appreciation, I cannot tell you for reason to bring the register. It's just up so much, but it's got the right products. I think you're onto something. Let's go to Mike in Maine. Mike. Hey, Jim, how you doing? I am doing well, Mike. How about you? Doing great. Hey, we met some time ago when our daughters were graduating Tulane University, and I got a question sure. for you. All sure. right. I've been I've been pondering this stock. Um, they got a new CEO. They're big into healthcare. Uh, they've had some declining quarters and you know supply chain issues. And uh, just wondering what you think about them for an investment for the future. Um, and the company is Phillips, P-H-G. You know, Mike, and I did love when our daughters got too lame with something, but it was so much fun, that graduation. You know what? Here's the problem. That's just not a well-enough-run company. We own Danaher for the Charitable Trust, and that's the best-run company in the industry, DHR. So that's what I'm going to recommend to you. Thank you for the call. Todd in New Jersey. Todd. Hey, Jim Bua. How are you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Good. Happy holidays. I was wondering Same. on adding a position uh, more on IEP, Icon Enterprises. I was wondering your okay, thoughts. If I, I don't really know what they own, so it's kind of like a black box. I'm always afraid that I will say I like something and I really don't know well enough, that therefore I am not being rigorous. So I cannot recommend Icon Enterprises. I am very sorry. 
How about Steve in New Jersey? Steve. Yes, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Yes, I was calling about a stock that you recommended back in 2020, and I made some nice gains on, and I sold back in some of it back in September of 21. Uh, since then, it's down about ten. I want to find out what your thoughts were on LabCorp. I haven't heard you speak about LabCorp in quite well, a while. Well, I haven't talked about LabCorp because that really was a consummate uh, COVID play. They were doing terrifically during the COVID period, and otherwise. That's really been it for me, and I have no desire to recommend it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, and the trend? While you may need to go against the grain to get those gains, next. Trend followers bug the heck out of me. Take oil and gas. We've seen so many bullish analysts now turn bearish on energy that we have to wonder, what were they thinking on the way up other than follow the herd? Right now, we've got a war in Ukraine, a huge storm coming in the U.S., and the Chinese economy opening up after a long period of intermittent lockdowns. We also have no meaningful production growth in this country, not in oil, not in gas. Yet it doesn't seem to occur to these analysts that oil's in much better shape here than it was when they liked it at 123 bucks, thinking, of course, it would go to 150. Back then, we thought crude was unstoppable because of the sanctions on Russian production. China was the wild card. Now the wild card's finally on the side of the bulls. I mean, give me a break. While I could still see crude sinking maybe a couple of bucks, maybe the mid-60s, if this blizzard turns out to be on the smaller side, the lack of new supply means oil should be able to hold its own. Plus, every time the price dips below $70, Biden plans to replenish the strategic petroleum reserve. Remember, he emptied that to keep oil prices lower, at least gasoline lower. Uh, If you're using it to hold down gas prices earlier in the year, it's time. He doesn't need to do this anymore. Now, look, we had a nice reprieve from the energy selling today. But you have to ask, why can't oil find stronger footing somewhere around here? Mainly, I've got to tell you why. It's going to shock you. It's because the chart of West Texas crude is ugly. And therefore, if the chart is bad, then oil must be sold. Something that happens because oil tends to be dominated by the technicals, not the fundamentals. Now, I don't buy that analysis for a moment. Kramer Faith Cotara, the natural gas producer, just got hit with its third downgrade in two weeks. The stock didn't go down, which tells me the tide's going the right way. And the analysts who liked it much higher will be wrong. Let me give you another example. The mega cap tech stocks. You never hear anything positive about these guys anymore. Talk about long knives. Even when someone says something constructive, like Wells Fargo did today, which said Amazon could be at an inflection point if it can get its cost down, it's completely ignored. Why? Well, because everybody hates mega tech. They hate mega cap tech, so therefore they hate it. It's circular reasoning, people. The analysts now think that Apple, Meta, Tesla, and Microsoft are all waning, while Amazon and Alphabet are hanging by a thread. They can't imagine anything good coming. But what happens if Amazon or Alphabet announces some big layoffs tomorrow? I think they can get some real lift. That said, I recognize that when money comes out of a group, there's no sparing it. As I told investing club members in my weekend bulletin, these mega cap tech stocks have become sources of funds for all sell, sorts sell, of sell, money sell, I'm betting they'll ultimately be wrong, but they can do more damage before they're done. So, again, you need to be patient with these recommendations. How about the newfound hatred for big retail? Have you seen that? The stocks of Lowe's and Home Depot, they're now hostage to rising interest rates, even as the underlying companies are doing really well. 
Costco disappointed somehow to someone, even as there was nothing surprising here. But the owners are now feeling like rats. They're, they're fleeing like rats from a sinking ship. People decided that Target's lost its edge. Even the saying that Ulta Beauty got downgraded today. They sure didn't even come near Lulu when reported last week. Wow. Sell, 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 sell. Walmart had good numbers and now it's down seven points in two weeks. And don't even get me started on great companies like Williams-Sonoma or RH, artists formerly known as Restoration Harbor. They are totally despised. They are absolutely hated. The only love being shown for the smaller cap names is the Tapestry, the Gap, Burlington Stores, Ralph Lauren, the latter I really like. But they're not big enough to contain all the money that's earmarked for retail. I think you should begin to take the other side of every one of these trend-following analysts. Why? Because these groups are just too beaten down. They're like the stock market today that bounced so quickly once they got any good news. And once you do get any good news, like, for instance, maybe Oracle tonight when they did that great quarter, you'll see a switch in direction so rapidly that you'll be kicking yourself for missing it. These analysts don't want to take the risk of going against the grain. Honestly, I actually sympathize. Nobody ever gets in trouble for being wrong in the same way as everybody else. But nobody ever won big that way either. If you're trying to make money in this market, sometimes you need to buck the trend. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.